Kia ora everybody, it is great to be back on the podcast with you this week. I hope you're doing well, wherever and however you are, that in the sort of tumult of the moment that we're in, that you're finding peace and rest. Today I'm going to deviate a little bit from the last number of weeks of the podcast and I'm not going to read from my prayer books. Instead I want to talk about sacred dialogue. And my inspiration for this is the continued, I don't know, how do I put it, um, the tension, I guess, or the friction created within the church herself. I can understand why there is a large amount of friction between the church and the world. We have very different worldviews and ideas about the origin of creation and its destination. But in the church... There seems to be this growing division uh, between us over various issues and dialogue between us is becoming difficult. And I know this personally, I've experienced this in my own personal life with people who are near to me in my life. And this is partly why I'm doing the series A More Christ-Like Apocalypse, um, which if you want to read that, that, episode, that first chapter came out last week, and it's available uh, through my email subscriber community. You can go to commonerscommunion.com forward slash a more Christ-like apocalypse and, and download it there. But So that's partially the inspiration for the written series about the end times and, and how we navigate that. Uh, but today's episode is, is also inspired by the need to find a way as the church to recenter our dialogue in a compassionate understanding and yet still a truth-based conversation with others, with each other, so we can provide some fruit. And so I want to talk today about what it's like to sound like God. And I'm going to share some um, notes that actually I designed for my online prophetic school that are also a great way to how to prophesy over people and, and what it's, how we prophesy in a way that sounds like God. And when we're talking to one another and we're talking to each other in the spirit of Christ, um, that conversation can be prophetic simply by the way in which we engage in it. That prophesying isn't just about prediction or anything like that, but it's also about the way in which we speak in harmony with the capital W word, in harmony with Christ who is alive and is real and is powerful right now. And my working definition of prophecy is um, the revelation of Jesus to a particular people in a particular place at a particular time. In other words, prophecy is simply unveiling who Christ is and what he wants to say to another in history. Um, and so conversation, sacred dialogue, is also prophetic dialogue because we are seeking to incarnate Christ in our, in our communication with others, in our relationship with others. We are making Jesus real and manifest and his kingdom come by speaking in his nature and by dignifying one another. And so I want to look at scripture and find a, a kind of a, a coat hanger or a skeleton, if you will, of some scriptures that we can look at and say, this is a way that when we engage in a dialogue like this, it's holy, it's sacred, it is Christ 
like. And I think in what I'm going to share with you today, it doesn't matter what the content of the conversation is, um, whether it's personal or passionate or whether it's external stuff that's unrelated to your own personal walk, whatever the content is, it should be shaped in the container of this prophetic dialogue, this sacred dialogue, this way of speaking and engaging with others like Christ. So where to begin? Well, my starting point uh, for all of my theology really begins in the first line of the Lord's Prayer as Jesus pronounces it. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And the reason I think that this is an incredible theological statement is Jesus' use of the two magnificent words, our Father. Now, in the context of prayer, it's significant because it's a communal statement. Jesus didn't teach us to pray, my Father, my sins, my world, my daily bread. For starters, he teaches us to pray our, and that's really, really important because it means that it unifies all of the church, regardless of place in the kind of hierarchy of our traditions or whatever. It places the entire church in one single category of brothers and sisters or children of God. And so when we pray our Father, we are saying, I am not an individual, I am part of a family, and you are the Father not just of me, of Strawn, but you are also the Father of every other person in your body whom you consider to be your children in Christ. And how that relates to our conversation is that when I am dialoguing with somebody else in the church, I am dialoguing with my very sister, my very brother. Now, I acknowledge in the world that we live in now, we have a somewhat disconnected um, and isolationist family. And so not all of us have the most or the closest relationships with our brothers and sisters. But what we do know is that when we talk to our brothers and sisters, we're talking to blood. You know, they don't, we can't not make them our brothers and sisters. Is that even good English? Um, we can't, by any means of that, we might excommunicate them. We may say that we no longer want to relate to them, but we cannot change the fact that they are blood. And that changes how we relate to them. It brings a security to the relationship, hopefully. Where that no matter what, I know with my brother and sister, no matter what we go through, we could have the most heated arguments and be deeply wounded by each other. But we will always come back and love one another because we are blood and there is a bond there deeper than anything else. And so when we're thinking about sacred dialogue, we're starting with our ourness, our siblingness under God, that there is no capital. You know, I think of that scripture where Jesus says, you know, don't call one another rabbi because there is only one rabbi and that's God. And don't call each other teacher or father because there's only one teacher and one father. And that's God. And I think what he's saying there in Matthew is that we are all to consider ourselves of equal footing under God and not to lord it over each other. And when it comes to dialogue, that is exactly the same. We are all children under a father. No amount of information or being right or being on the right side of theology or any of that, no matter how self-righteous we feel or angry we are or the potential for harm of something, we cannot change that truth. So if we continue to dialogue as two children under our Father, 
We can create a map for security and togetherness that despite the discussion of our, uh, the topic of our discussion, will be safely in sacred covenant with each other as Christ invited us to be. The second element of sacred dialogue is speaking from God's nature. What does God sound and feel like when he speaks? Well, we have the Gospels of Jesus Christ, and and so we can look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see what Jesus said. We can read the words, but if you're like me and you've ever kind of miscommunicated an email or a text or a written article, you'll know how easy it is to misplace someone's intention based on words alone. And so one of the, uh, the greatest gifts to my scripture reading in, my, in the early years of my journey with Jesus was to think about uh, everything that Jesus was saying through the temperament of the gifts, uh, sorry, of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, read in Galatians 5.22. There we read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when we read the words of Jesus in the New Testament, we can read everything Jesus said through the lens of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what God sounds like. That's what he feels like. And so when it comes to sacred dialogue between us and our family or others in the church, well, really with anybody, we can speak in a dialogue that is saturated with kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God sounds like his fruit, and so should we. But God is also love. And we read in 1 Corinthians 13.4, if you've ever been to a wedding or 10 weddings, you'll know the scripture like the back of your hand. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love looks and sounds a particular way. It is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, it protects the other, and it always hopes, trusts, and perseveres in them. So we might speak through the fruit of the Spirit We might speak from the seed of love, which is when we're speaking to another to always protect their dignity, to always protect them as a person, not to to denigrate them or attack them personally. It's not easily angered. It sits in restful compassion and listens. And when it is angered for good reasons, because anger is not a sin, 
when it is angered for good reasons because of injustice or whatever, it doesn't lash out in hatred or judgment. It's a holy anger that seeks to bring understanding, revelation, wisdom, and peace. And so in sacred dialogue, we're embracing the fruit of the Spirit, but we're also embracing God's nature of love, not love as we imagine it. I'm not saying that we have to have this emotional feeling of love or romance for the person we're talking to. Love is more gritty than that. Love is an obedience to a greater reality, capital R reality, and that's what love looks and sounds like in the Trinity. This is why I believe this is how we prophesy. We're prophesying underneath our Father as siblings to each other through the the fruit of the Spirit and the nature of love. This is why sacred dialogue is prophetic. Because when we're doing these things, we may not be predicting the future or whatever we may think is some grand prophetic gesture. But we are revealing the nature of God into a world that cannot see it. We're unblinding others to the person of God And that is a profoundly prophetic act. And then finally, a way that we can engage in sacred dialogue is to always speak with the intention of God. And in 1 Corinthians 14.3, we get some insight into this. Because the writer is talking about how people prophesy in the church. And when we're talking about prophesying, We're talking about relaying God's heart or voice or revealing God's heart or voice to a people. So the commandment for how people should prophesy could also be seen as a commandment for the way that people can best represent the voice of God himself, best represent God. And in 1 Corinthians 14.3, we read this. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. We are always seeking a way to encourage, comfort, and strengthen the others because that's what love does. Love serves the other. Love seeks to put on its servant's waistcoat even in a heated dialogue, even in a discussion about important relational issues. It seeks to serve the other, to build them up, to encourage them, and to strengthen them in whatever way is possible. And usually if you're speaking through the fruit of the Spirit, And with the sacrificial love exemplified in um, 1 Corinthians 13, people will feel your love even if you disagree. And ultimately, every conversation between us should have the goal of strengthening and encouraging each other, not tearing each other down, not being right. And in saying that, I'm not saying that there's no such thing as truth and being right. I'm just saying victory isn't held by laying down the best argument. Victory is held in being the most Christ-like. that in all of that there is a small danger that you might hear me saying 
that in sacred dialogue or in the in the gift of of prophesying or revealing Christ to the world, we're always meant to be quote unquote positive, and it may conjure up those images of sort of the bouncy person who can't ever allow conversation to be tough or challenging or difficult. But we don't see that in Christ either. We see Christ as actually a very confrontational man at times. And so it's possible for all of that to be true of our dialogue, but for us also to have grit and bite. And so in that vein, I want to talk about the difference between conviction and condemnation. Because a large part of sacred dialogue is us needing to bring truth to the table and to speak truth in love that often can feel very uncomfortable to others. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus spoke in a way that convicted others. And we read in John 16, 8 to 12, that this is also the role of the Holy Spirit. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And so the Holy Spirit, part of his role on earth is to bring conviction to the world about sin. And that's positive for us because it means we're not the first person or the only people to be doing it. The church convicts the world of sin by living a life of righteousness and truth. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin by being upon and through them in the process, pinging their conscience and speaking to them about righteousness. So God doesn't avoid difficult conversations. But there is a big difference between conviction and condemnation. And we read in John 3.17 that it is never God's will to condemn us. John 3.17.18 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So, let's untangle that for a second. Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn it. Jesus, in his speaking, convicted the world of sin and righteousness, just as the Holy Spirit has promised to do now. But it was our rejection of truth and capital R reality that caused condemnation. An illustration I like to use is is this. We're standing on top of a 13-story building, and we're looking down. And someone tells us, you know, you can't step off this ledge because gravity will take its toll, and you will fall all 13 stories, and you will die. Now, we may say to ourselves, I don't believe that's true. I can't feel gravity. I can't touch it. I can't see gravity. Gravity's never spoken to me. I think it's just a theory. I don't believe it. And we can step off that ledge and experience what gravity does to someone in a 13-story building. In that scenario, did gravity condemn me or the person who does it? No, not at all. Gravity is the neutral person in this. Gravity was trying to speak through its existence 
to the person to say this is not a good idea, but by refusing reality, that person condemned themselves. This is the same with us in the gospel. Christ comes to say this is the way of life, and we simply say it's not the way of life, and the the consequences of rejecting that way of life is death. How does this relate to sacred dialogue? Because in us speaking the truth in love and the fruit of the Spirit under the banner of our Father as siblings before God, when we speak the truth, it will likely bring conviction. And that's beautiful and good. We should be bringing conviction to one another. That's not negative. That's not being judgmental. That's not a problem. That's being a Christian. What we shouldn't do is then add to that conviction that because somebody else doesn't believe it or can't feel it, that they are now condemned, that we condemn them. That we say, well, you are dot, 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 that we make it personal. In sacred dialogue, we are more than happy to convict in line with Jesus and the truth of his teachings, but we don't condemn. And I would argue that this element of sacred dialogue extends to the world, to the government, to the opposing political party, to the opposing religious tradition or the the different religious tradition or to the races or whatever. I would argue that our role is constantly to bring the convicting voice of Jesus to the public sphere by living the truth, but never accusing and condemning. When we do that, we partner with the work of the devil. And we read in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The devil is the accuser in scripture. And he comes to destroy the other. And when our sacred dialogue turns from conviction into destruction of the other in pronouncing death and cursing on one another, we are no longer speaking in the person of Jesus. We are partnering with the accusation of Satan. And when we look at Jesus' life, we'll find him saying things like, Woe to you, Pharisees, and declaring this sort of pronouncement of like, You are rejecting truth and therefore you will be like this. And there's nuance on that. But that is very different to condemning and judging and accusing others and tearing them down and assigning them a dehumanized role in society. I want to finish with these thoughts. I realize that there is a lot dividing us at the moment. I feel it. I'm sure you feel it. It's just on every level from politics to religious institutionalism and theology through to um, economy, through to lockdowns of vaccines, mask mandates, you know, all of this stuff. At every level, it feels like every little while there's just added another layer for contention between us and I'm not saying either that there should be no disagreement what I am saying is that the church needs to relearn how to enter into sacred dialogue with one another if we get to the point where our dialogue is so broken down that we are unable to be in sacred communion with one another because of our disagreements on political or health issues 
It's a sign that we have placed something other than the Lordship and Kingdom of Jesus Christ at the center of our community and of our union with one another. One way that we can hold those things in tension without denying them, but without giving them power to drive us apart, is by relearning how to engage in sacred dialogue. And I hope that today's podcast episode can in some way give you some hope or skeleton or coat hanger or whatever one you want to call it to do that well. Let me pray for you just as we close the episode. Jesus, you love your church. You love each of us with a power and a passion and a desire that is far beyond anything we could imagine. You long for us to sit at the table and to display your nature to each other and to the world. You long for the church to be able to have conversation with each other that is an example to the world, not a bad taste, but a good scent a symphony, a harmony that the world can join in and sing of love, of dignified, sacred dialogue. I pray for a miracle now over every person listening to this podcast at whatever stage they hear it after its release of joy. That Holy Spirit, you would fill them now with the spirit of compassion, of love, that they would see you as their father, they would see this place as a sibling, that the love and the fruit we read about in Scripture would explode upon their mind and heart. God, I pray for those who have, who are carrying hurt and offense from family members, from friends, from pastors, from church, where those people have failed to engage in dignifying sacred dialogue. God, we lift that up to you now. We release it to you. I pray for the miracle of healing over those minds and souls. As they listen to this podcast, driving, walking, sitting, whatever they're doing, may they have the strength and courage to say, I release this to you. I release this pain. I release this woundedness. I release this offense. And in its place, Holy Spirit, would you flood in and empower them in a life of unspeakable joy and resolution to speak in the voice of their Father. Heal us now. Heal our church. Heal our division. Make us a witness to creation, to the powers and the principalities that Jesus is Lord, and that he is one head with one body, and we will stick together through this for the sake of his glory and love in the earth. Amen.